what year were you at ABC Acres? Like 2017, 2018. That's when I took my tour at ABC Acres. So you were on site when I was there. Most likely, yeah. Because I, uh, I had I looked up the email. Um, oh, it says October twenty eighth, twenty seventeen, and I vaguely remember Tim saying, "Oh, my farm manager's name is Matt." Yep, that would have been. Yep, that was definitely me. <laughs> That's really funny. This is the Farm Hop Life podcast, a traveling homestead family. I'm Matt Rozier. Tonight, I'm talking with Matthew Sargent of Advanced Agroforestry out of Hamilton, Montana. Matthew has a great Instagram posting, lots of wonderful content about permaculture and regen ag. How's it going, Matt? It's Matthew, great. Matt. <laughs> Matt, Matt, Matthew, whatever. <laughs> Sarge. It's not late for dinner. Yeah, Sarge is uh, what most people have called me for a while, so I'll go by any of it. Uh, life's good. Um, good, man. I'm glad I'm glad we could connect this way. Yeah. Um, so I got your I got your contact info from uh a mutual Joe Joe Singer down in Victor to Victor there. And um so I started following you on Instagram and I was like, oh whoa, this dude's like into tons of cool stuff. <laughs> like, this is sweet. I gotta have him on the show. So um yeah, that's why you're here. How yeah. did you how did you get started homesteading? Uh, you know, it's, uh, I grew up in Colorado, was a ski bomb for a professional ski bomb for most of my adult life. And that's how I met my wife. I was ski patrol at Beaver Creek. She worked at Vail. Um, she got in, you know, she, uh, did a nutritional course and she's a holistic nutritionist, um, herbalist, et cetera, all that jazz. And the more she got into food, the more we realized that, even the healthy food was kind of junk. Um, and as that transition was happening, we were getting priced out of living in Colorado. Um, so at that point, we I got hired as a estate manager um, in Indiana. And all of a sudden, going from 8,000 feet in Colorado, where you know I would try and grow tomatoes every year, but they'd be in pots and you'd have to bring them in every night because it's snow on the 4th of July frequently. Um, <laughs> you know, so we were in Indiana. I had always dreamed about homesteading and how cool it'd be to like be, be in charge of your own food production. And all of a sudden it was like a real reality, you know, 8,000 feet, like you can homestead, but it looks a lot, you're not growing a lot of vegetables and produce. You're really relying on meat products. Um, sure. And the first year I grew tomatoes in Indiana, you know, I had some indeterminate uh, heirloom tomatoes that grew like 12 feet tall. I kept running out of trellising. I was like, holy crap, like, this is amazing. Um, and yeah, that was That's uh, wild, dude. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, it was insane. I, I never knew tomatoes could grow that big, um, but uh, the different climate. So, you know, that was, that was it, you know, and we got, 10 acres in Southern Indiana for what you could literally buy a parking spot for in Colorado. I believe um, it. Yeah. So that was, that was real, that was the eye opener. And that's where, you know, I got introduced to permaculture Um one reading guy's garden. Cause I wanted to, you know, really get the garden dialed in and it had a cool cover. Um, judge books by the cover. It, it does work sometimes. 
Sure. And, uh, I, I met a really interesting gentleman who was kind of a mentor of mine. Uh, I got interested by Comfrey, you know, based off a guy's garden and saw a, a guy on Craigslist selling uh, Comfrey cuttings for like five bucks. And, you know, he answered my phone call. And he was like, you want Comfrey, huh? You and I are going to get along. Um, <laughs> and he kind of, he had one of the coolest little urban permaculture plots I've ever seen. And I don't really do the urban thing. I'm not the most social person, but this guy had it so dialed in and like from the street, if you didn't know plants, you wouldn't know that he was producing tons of food on this, you know, quarter acre plot. Sure. Um, and that's where I was like, okay, I've read, I've read a book. I've seen this. Let's get into it. And I, I just took the deep dive. I did some coursework with Mark Shepard. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. And uh, that's where like I, one, like personally, like not, on not, site. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, there was kind of us in the class. He has his own version of a PDC. It's a, I've totally lost the paper. I'm not one for certificates, but uh, it's basically his version of a PDC. He just doesn't pay whatever the Permaculture Institute is, so he can't call it permaculture. Um, hmm. And he focuses primarily on farm scale agroforestry practices. So it was eye opening. Well, we did a key line design layout for a gentleman's farm. Basically, if people want Mark to design something for them, they can fund it by having Mark teach a class there. I don't know if that's how Mark still operates, but um, mm. yeah, so it was a, a series of three different uh, three-day weekends that we visited this gentleman's property and did a whole water management layout, selected appropriate tree species, um, and helped define a context that in this guy's case led to a more silvopastoral situation than a row cropping situation. He was on a fairly steep landscape. So um, large scale crop production wasn't really on the ticket. It would have been pretty erosive. Sure. Um, yeah. But at that point, a lot of the no till stuff wasn't widely available. So maybe he could get away with something at this point, but yeah. That's amazing to be on site and like kind of like see kind of like the inner workings, like how he's thinking, like what he's thinking about, yeah. like how he's seeing the terrain and, you know, what's possible. Dude, all of that would be amazing to yeah. experience. It, it was, it was pretty wild. Um, and then. Uh, what, so where was, what was the location? Sorry. Uh, so what was the location for that? that? That farm was in Ohio and I can't remember its name. And right at the same time, my wife and I were moving from southern Indiana to right outside of Louisville. And that's where we started our own commercial farm. Um, so that was great. Even though it was leased land, I took everything I learned from Mark and um, on 12 acres, did a key line design, planted 1,200 trees, and two and a half Whoa. years into it, lost my lease. Um, oh man <laughs> luckily um going into it we did sign as part of the lease agreement that they would pay me whatever the trees were worth if i ever left so like a point. million dollars <laughs> well they were you know they were three-year-old trees so they were well, actually at that point they were probably four or five-year-old trees because i had planted them as two-year-old uh bare root trees so i didn't i didn't lose a huge investment 
Um, I've been trying to get a lot of, I've reached out to everyone I know to get me pictures because I know the trees are alive, but all the pictures I get are like just garbage pictures. And I'm like, I can't share this with anyone. Like, right. show me the tree, show me it's healthy. Like make it so I can tell if this is one of the chestnuts or the black locust or an apple. Um, so, but I know they're there. I know they haven't been tended to. I just knowing the landowners um, that mm. it's been totally neglected. And that's what I think is the coolest thing about these systems is if you do a good job with the design, the, they're going to, the system's going to survive. And sure. this, this is a system that, you know, uh, the grandkids of the owners now are going to be able to go harvest chestnuts and apples from, so I think that's awesome. Um, it's not benefiting me, but it's benefiting someone, which is cool. Uh, yeah. And when that fell through, that's what brought me out to Hamilton, Montana. I know you said that you've uh, met Tim over at ABC Acres. Oh, yeah, he, yeah. He happened to be looking for a farm manager at that time, and um, someone had sent me a link to it, and I was like, wait, he has bourbon red turkeys. That's what I raised. I was breeding bourbon red turkeys. He does pasture pigs. That was like my main profit, uh, main moneymaker in Kentucky. And like everything I did, he was doing it just a slightly bigger scale. And I was like, okay, this, this should work. And we got out here and um, it was a blessing in disguise because I didn't realize how much I had missed the mountains. My daughter sure. had just been born and, uh, there's some awesome things about Kentucky, but when I really thought about it, I was like, wait, I want my daughter to grow up being able to ski and uh, go out on the river and stuff like that. Yeah. At this point, and knowing what's going on in the rivers, especially in the Midwest, I, you couldn't pay me to swim in most of those rivers with the amount of chemicals and garbage in them. So All, all the runoff and junk, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that that got us out here and um, after a while, we uh, ended up buying our own land, leaving ABC Acres, and uh, yeah, we're off grid outside of Corvallis. My daughter's correcting me. Uh, my we bought the land, and then I built the house, and she and her grandma and enjoy it. <laughs> oh, good. Um, we, we, um, the rest of our family stayed down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to give the uh, summary, but yeah, so we're developing a site um, and it's, I'm loving it. It's uh, very challenging. I mean, you're familiar with the landscape. We're in the sapphire. So we're, we're in the sagebrush country. Um, luckily there's a, there is a spring and I've developed some terraces and the tree systems seem to be thriving and uh everything that i knew in my head uh should work is actually like really working because it's one thing to plant a tree in kentucky and watch it thrive um but like in an over in like in 30 minutes of rain if you leave a five gallon bucket out it fills up um, sure around here you could leave a bucket out for a year and you're never going to get it full of water um unless it's on yeah. the roof <laughs> precipitation's uh, a joke around here um, yeah I'm I'm from Minnesota, and so like if you look up the precipitation amount, it's less than half here than what it is there. So it's like 48 inches of precipitation a year in Minnesota. So like, yeah, which makes sense because I'm like, man, it is so dry here. Because I didn't like you don't think about the climate, like at least not. <laughs> I, I didn't 
I mean, I was like late twenties when I moved here. And so I was like, Oh hell yeah. Mountains. Let's go. Yeah. And I'm like, it is damn dry out here. And it's cause it's just, it's just so, so humid over there. And, um, it's like 19 inches of precipitation on an average a year here. And so it's, you'd got to like save like every drop of water hits the ground. Like you better have a spot for it. Like it better yeah. like get collected and do something for you because it's, it's a co- commodity, I guess, you know, like people kill each other kill each other over water rights as, as they say whiskey's for drinking water's for fighting that's true, that <laughs> true. very true um really quick before we move on to the next question what year were you at abc acres it's 2022 i'm so bad at remember years it would have been uh like 2017 2018 that's when I took my tour at ABC Acres. So you were on site when I was there. Most likely, Cause, yeah. Because I uh, I had, I had, looked up the email. Um, it says October 28th, 2017. And I vaguely remember Tim saying, oh, my farm manager's name is Matt. Yep, that would have been. Yep, that was definitely me. Um, That's really funny. Yeah. Um, when I first, so that would have been like when I was first there, um, he ended up pawning off a lot of the farm, farm tours on me, but, um, at first he was, you know, still kind of feeling me out, getting to, um, know who I was. And when we came out for the interview, my whole family came out and, uh, my wife is an awesome, lovely person, but she is a very socially dominant person. And, mm. um, after the interview, I, we got back to Kentucky and he had said that his one reservation was that I seemed real quiet. Um, but I hate it when people interrupt, it's like one of my biggest pet peeves. So I just kind of let the conversations they were having happen. Oh Yeah. Yeah, and I just didn't want to interject. And I was like, well, you know, I, I can't actually be very outgoing. I just don't want to, like, override anyone's conversation. So I just let things be. So it all ended up working out. But he, I think he still thought I was uh, – and, you know, at that point, he was still really trying to, like, grow big on YouTube. And he was like, I need someone who's outgoing and can be on camera. And – it's like, yeah, I can do that. And I didn't know anything about YouTube. And I watched some of the videos. And I'm like, man, I really should have learned how to edit, um, especially some of the early ones. I mean, I know I'm saying I'm a lot right now. It's just who I am. I didn't know you could edit that stuff out. So right. <laughs> I watched some of the videos and I just, it's super, you know, it's, there's great information in them, but I'm like, man, I am so cringe in this. Um, but that was a, a big learning curve. That was fun. Um, but yeah, that was an awesome farm. Um, good times, good people. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So what motivates you to grow your own food? Um, I find like it's, it's actually the, a big part of it originally was the health aspect, you know, being in control of my food supply and knowing what went into it. Cause even with the organic produce, um, having been in the industry for a while, I know that like there's stuff that I don't necessarily want to adjust in growing practices that aren't very sustainable. I am deeply motivated by 
Oh, sorry. I am motivated by the environmental side. I'm sorry. Poppy, I am really busy right now. I don't know what to do. It's fine. I am so sorry about that. That's okay. Um, she got something in her bone broth and was concerned about it. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. There's that, there's uh, that interruption. Right? Yep. The, uh, the environmental part is, is a big factor, but the more I do it, um, the more I grow my own food, the more I find that it's, it's really about liberty. Because um, if I can produce my own food, fiber, fuel, and medicine, and I have a secure location, it's a lot harder for anyone to you know, starve me out or force me to do something. Um, I know that seems kind of strange, but uh, the responsibility is incredibly liberating. If that makes sense. Oh, definitely. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so yeah. Yeah. When you're when you're hungry and your kids are hungry, you're gonna do anything to, even if it's something that goes against your principles or morals. You know, yeah. like gotta eat. Kids gotta eat. Like up oh, whatever. I'll yeah. I'll do whatever to make sure my kids fed. But like, if you can feed yourself. They take that power away from you or sorry, you take that yeah. power back. You take the power back. And um, one of my biggest motivators now and through the, the work I've been doing is, you know, homestead handyman is I, I really like in, uh, helping the community become more resilient. And, you know, I don't, I try not to buy into the fear mongering that's happening in the, the country right now but you know when you have the president talking about how there's going to be global food shortages knowing that i'm helping my community members learn how to grow food and install systems that allow them to be more productive and create a food security for themselves a resilient communities makes it a safer community for me because not only am i secure with my food supply if everyone or most of us have a secure food supply, mm -hmm. then I'm not a target. I'm not the guy, hey, there's that guy up on the mountain who's got a greenhouse and sheep and whatever else. And we know he's growing food. Every other person, you know, that'd be the goal. Eventually, everyone in the county has their own garden, at least. Um, livestock, right. if appropriate. Because if everyone has food security, no one's wanting you're not a target. So um, I, I, I'm really big into the, the community thing lately. Um, and just today, like the importance of community really hit me hard. I consider myself a jack of all trades. I know you do handyman work. Two weeks ago, my well pump fried. And it's like one of the few things that I don't know much about and mm -hmm. jump on YouTube. And all the YouTube videos are like troubleshoot X, Y, and Z. If these are all wrong, it's the pump. Whatever you do, don't touch the pump. Call an expert. I was like, wow, like YouTube, like you can find plans to build a freaking spaceship on YouTube. So right. if the people on YouTube are telling me, call an expert about a well, call a well. I live six miles up a pretty fun road. I, I get to go four-wheeling whenever I come to town. Uh, with the rain and snow, it's been uh, either really fun or really miserable. But I was I, wondering... It's hard to interrupt, but like, do you, there, 
there's a lot of pictures where like it's pictures <laughs> of like your tires just caked in mud. I'm like, is this dude just dicking around all day? Like, what is oh. he? No, like, that's, that's does he work? Yeah, no, I, I I do work. Um, that's really like just pictures of the commute, taking the chains on, taking the that chains makes off. sense now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, no, that's just just my road. So. I had two well guys like come up and look and they're like, screw this road. We don't want anything to do with it. I was at the point oh, where man. I thought I was going to have to do it um, myself. I had it all prepped. Finally got a third guy to come up. He actually installed the pump. I took really good notes. I'm getting another backup pump. So in like five years, 10 years, when it does die, I'll, I'll be able to take care of it myself. But um, between me and the, the pro wires got crossed and i was up till like midnight last night trying to troubleshoot it um still yeah um and finally like today two of my neighbors swung by and one of them was a captain on a he was like a merchant marine for 20 years and whenever i think i'm i'm a solid jack of all trades this guy shows in and he's like come on son let me show you how it's done and right he he figured out where the lines got crossed um within like 10 minutes and i was able to take a shower in my own bathroom which was you know neighbors had loaned me their shower but it's hard to like relax in a neighbor's shower um yeah having running water was is a blessing and without a strong community i wouldn't have had that today so very good point i, I want to build the community up um so people have those relationships and um, I learned a lot today and try and help my community in the same way. That's awesome. Yeah. So on your, on your own property where you're at now that you, you said you've got a couple different like techniques and methods. You're uh, you got um, you got terraces and you have uh, do you have a catchment pond? Did I, did I see? Um, there's yes and no. So we are coming into our fourth summer on the property and, you know, the, the plan and the layout has been there basically since we made an offer on the property, I knew what, what the long-term goal was that said our in-laws invested, my in-laws invested in the land with me, with us. Mm. Um, the mortgage was, or, you know, the monthly payments were one thing down payment was kind of out of a farmer's budget. Um, so they invested with us and originally the plan was they were going to live in the house that was on the property and my wife, daughter, and I were going to erect a TP or a yurt on a platform and call that home. Yeah. My father-in-law started looking up. He didn't even know what a yurt was. He started looking up yurts and he found these, I, I hate that he calls it a yurt because it's a freaking roundhouse. Um, but he found these uh, wooden yurts and he was like, no, I want to live in the yurt now. And so he was like, can you build this for me? And I said, yeah, sure. You know, I've, I've framed, I've built, I can do this. And he went ahead and ordered it and it was a pre-assembled thing, you know, wall panels and whatnot. I actually think it would have been way faster to just get the materials on site and build from the ground up. Um, 
but I did that while working full time at various greenhouses. I spent did a stint at Lifeline che- uh, Dairy making cheese. Oh, cool! Um, so I was working full time while building that house, and that really kind of slowed down some of the more growing things that I would rather have done. So the first summer we installed some terraces that utilize the spring. It uh, flows you around. And part of the terrace system has some ponds. Um, they support goldfish, but, you know, they're really overgrown puddles. Um, and then I installed some swales in one of the pastures last year. We'll be planting those out this year. Um, but, yeah, there was, you know, a, it was originally a five-year plan. The year took way longer to build than I expected. Um well, trying to work full time. I mean, you can imagine yeah. building a house from the ground up largely by yourself. I was able to get neighbors for some of the heavy lifting, but and then uh, as cool as it looks, I really can't recommend anyone build a roundhouse. Um, there's a reason most houses are square. Um, almost everything became just that much harder. You look at the flooring; every two feet on the you know laminate floor I was having to change angle cuts where it butts up against the wall um just everything was that much harder so it it was a slower process than I want but we have systems in place and systems to install and now that that house has been done I'm kind of hitting the ground running on getting the rest of those systems fully implemented as budget allows you know you got to look at your context Um, everyone thinks handymen make good money, but it's, you know, as you know, it's not, I'm not laughing all the way to the bank. Um, and then you take a week off cause you're trying to figure out your well. Um, but that's the, the joy of being self-employed. Um, I am able to do that. Right. So, <laughs> um, it allows me to prioritize my family. That's huge, yeah. huge importance. Yeah. Yeah, the flexibility and because like, man, I hate like leaving my wife and kid here every morning, like, you know, at the door, like daddy's got to go to work. Yeah, uh, I don't like, yes, I have to like, this isn't a choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but, you know, you also got to kind of think you get to go to work because that allows you to. Uh, to provide for them right you say it's it's an opportunity to do something for them and um yeah i'd much rather stay home most days but generally speaking that doesn't pay the bills and uh growing your own food definitely helps alleviate some of those financial responsibilities but let's be real it's 2022 Um, unless you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth you got to have a source of income somehow yeah yeah and so taking food you know growing most of your food that definitely helps with budgets, but it's not going to solve all of life's problems. Right. How do your sheep integrate into your design? (laughs) So the sheep, the sheep will be rotationally grazed uh, through what should be a silver pastoral system. You know, as soon as there's baby trees, it's a silver pasture, right? Um, I'm probably going to have to replace most of my herd because they don't seem to respect electric fence. And, Hmm. um, 
to put a budget wise, I just don't have the, the budget to fence off the entire 20 acres with a solid perimeter. Oh yeah. That's um, a lot of infrastructure costs. Yeah. Crap. So I've got a, like a five acre plot that the previous owner had horses in that's got perimeter fence, but it's amazing. Five sheep, uh, I've actually been overgrazing and I'm not proud of it, but I, hmm. I keep saying, I, maybe we should butcher home, but I like having the sheep, but every time I put an electronic up, one of them gets tangled in it and I've got, I've currently got Icelandic, so they've got wool. They'll respect it right after they're shorn, but that lasts about four weeks. So I, I either need sheep that, yeah. And I mean, I know like the big guys, Greg Judy or whatnot, they would say, you know, you kill any sheep that jumps out of the fence. And I was going to ask about that next. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I should take that to heart. And like, that's what I would tell anyone else to do. Um, we had goats and they were doing the same thing and they all, they went bye-bye. Um, yeah. Because yeah. But the sheep, when they get out, they don't tend to be as destructive in the garden. Right. The sh- or the goat. Yeah. The sheep aren't as destructive. The goats, when they got out, they were just, they were goats. Um, and as much as I loved the milk, I have to kind of say, if you're a goat person, you're, you, there's something wrong in your brain. I've heard that a lot. Yeah. Come at me if you want. Um, yeah. And that was actually one of those things. The first two goats I had, uh, we had some dairy goats, uh, miniature alpines, and they respected the fence. They were great. And I was like, all right, let's let's grow the herd. And we got a couple more and a buck, and the buck taught them all to jump the fence. And once he taught them that, the two that were angels to start with became devils. And, um, they all became sausage. So I made that. How was that? That tastes pretty good. Oh um, yeah. Goat sausage. Good. Yeah. I, I liked it. Um, and yeah, <laughs> my daughter's in the corner saying I didn't like it. Um, but needs more ketchup, more ketchup. That's generally the answer with a young child. Yeah. Um, so I should probably take my own advice and do that with the sheep and find, find sheep that do respect fences i know they exist but would you um, go hair sheep moving forward i would probably go to katahdins we raised katahdins in kentucky and they were okay i never had issues with them with the electric fence half the time i never even had the fence on Hmm. Um, but it is also that was also you know i was a lot better about a daily rotation um but that was like my job then whereas now it's like my hobby right so Mm -hmm. especially like I probably should have waited to get sheep until the house was done. And we got on the land and we're like, we want the lifestyle we've had and we're going to build a house at the same time. And, you know, I've got my in-laws like living in the house with us, wanting their own house. So if I'm, you know, messing around chasing sheep or whatnot, my mother-in-law is like staring at me like, come on, get that hammer. Um, yeah, so I probably should have just grabbed the hammer and taken care of the sheep, but and <laughs> people are going to be like, oh, he's so cruel. I would never hit a sheep with a hammer. Um, More than just, once. Yeah, yeah. if it takes two hits, you, you're, you're cruel. Um, right. <laughs> but, 
yeah so it's like i i want the dream of sheep but i didn't have the time to invest more energy into it so we've got them there um i know the land will bounce back fine so yeah um even even the even people who know well you know you get in circumstances where you're like okay this is what i have for now i gotta work with it um can't let perfect be the enemy of good you know so yeah. At least when I do butcher them, I still know a hundred percent what they have been eating, what they've gotten into and how they were raised is, you know, opposed to anything I would buy at the, at the store. So, and that's, you know, where it all started. You know, we wanted uh, not only the food security, but the, the food safety. So, yeah, definitely. Um, can you give me a couple of examples of what has worked like, what did you try that worked well? Um, you know, like you talked about like Keylight designs. Um, was there like a specific spacing that you, that worked well? Or was, you know, just, uh, that's just like a example, like off the top of my head. Okay. So what has worked really well for us on our property is the, the terrace system combined with trees. And yeah, they're all still, most of them are young trees. Um, that but that and it, the introduction of fungus on the on the landscape because like mm. i said i'm in the sagebrush country so i've got the terraces harvesting water the trees providing the numerous climactic benefits that trees provide and then i mulched everything as heavy as i could with the materials i had on hand and inoculated it with oyster and wine cap mushroom spawn and mm you've hiked around here you know what the dirt looks like it's hard to call most especially in the hills it's hard to call anything up there soil and you know I'd, I'd have to dig through my photos but last summer i have pictures in the terrace where i'm literally taking handfuls and going probably six handfuls deep into the dirt and i mean up there it's mineral it's not dirt it's not soil but it's behaving like topsoil and that's because there's ground cover, uh, dense planting, uh, lots of cover crops in between any of the annual crops. Or we're focusing a lot on medicinal herbs, as I mentioned, my wife's an herbalist. Um, so that's kind of our cash crop. And then the, the trees to shade things out because people think of Montana and they think of the brutal, brutal cold. If you've mm-hmm. ever been to the Bitterroot, it's brutal hot in the summer. It's dry. It is hot. true. And last summer was. Like, you'll get a sunburn at 50 when it's 50 degrees out. Yeah, you'll get a sunburn. And like last summer, it got hot earlier than normal. You know, in June, we were seeing 100 degree temperatures in the valley. I'm on a south facing hillside in the mountains. My site gets like as far as producing my own power, the solar gain is freaking awesome. Um, I. I produce more power than I can store in the summer. I'm always like, man, we need to buy more batteries. Um, yeah, the, there's a lot of power just going straight into my grounding rod because I can't harness it. But hmm. plants plants have, have, have a hard time with that. But getting the trees up there for shade and some ground cover and water and fungus, it the site is transforming. And I know over the next five to 10 years, that's gonna move downhill onto the path, into the baby silvo pasture. I'm not gonna be able to afford to mulch that. I can't haul that much mulch up there. That would beat the crap out of my truck or 
you know, dump truck driver would hate me. They'd say, no, we're, we did one load. We're not coming back up here. So, you know, in a pasture is, you know, zone three or zone four, you know, you typically don't most of those, but over time as the baby trees and that's all going to be planted mostly with pioneer species, they're going to be dropping leaves and mm-hmm. the fungi, the fungus is there. It's going to spread. I I know that that's going to take off. That's not an academic knowledge thing. That's I've observed incredible growth and transformation in three summers from installing some water management and, and trees. Um, and the fungus is there. I'm not going to need to inoculate anything else. That wine cap's going to spread spores, spread in the ground. Um, so, and then as far as spacing of tree rows and like a, a key line system, and I don't even know if you're allowed to use the word key line. I know the riverians people own, own the term, so whatever. Uh, oh. mo- modified contour design, slightly <laughs> off contour. A rectilinear contour. I don't know what the right word is. I've seen where other people are using lowercase k for key line, uh, hmm. whereas the regrarians own a uppercase k. Um, hmm. I'm not a trademark lawyer. I'm just a guy who's into growing food efficiently and sustainably. So um, this the spacing of rows, you know, and the in the man in the designer's manual they'll say that it's going to be based off of your gradient and um more technical than i can probably get without pictures but basically it canopy height you want your lowest tree or like your downhill row to be at the base of the uphill one so like from that makes downhill, sense. it just looks like a a forest but there is that open space i I'm going to disagree with that. I'm going to say it's based off of context. What do you want to do in between the rows and what, Mm. what machinery might you want to run in it? If you got a big old tractor and you're thinking, you know, one third of this land, I'm going to hay every year. You're going to want to be able to make sure that your 30 foot, uh, hay, hay mower can make two passes in between rows or three passes. Are you running cattle or are you running sheep? Because, even though you want a tight mob with your cows, you also want them to have room to run and be cows. So mm-hmm. uh, if you're saying I'm going to have sheep, maybe you're going to go with 30 foot rows. If you're going to have cows, you might want more 60 foot. Um, in Kentucky, my design, I did, I think 60 feet is generally a, a good, good spacing because it kind of allows for almost any species you would want. If you're going to be using Electronet, maybe you want to go 64 feet since like the small roll of, of Electronet, 64 feet. That way you have one span of that a wide. That makes sense. You can do like two or three rows long and another one wide. But um, a big thing of Keyline is that it's curvilinear. So your rows are parallel with each other. One or two of your, con- of your rows might be on contour, but the others are going to be slightly on or off <laughs> contour but at a low enough grade that water isn't causing erosive damage when it's moving down them. It's just slowly moving. So you can still get that infiltration and Mm. not erosive. Um, So it's, it's so context-based. It's hard to say 10 foot rows, 20 foot rows, obviously 10 foot rows. You're looking at growing a forest, not a, um, (laughs) not necessarily a, 
in a savanna and really an agroforestry um, system, you're, you're modeling the, you're mimicking the savanna ecosystem, which is one of the most prolific, productive ecosystems out there. So yeah, you're, you're going to, you don't want a closed canopy. I mean, right. A, a lot of permaculturists talk about a food forest and I think a baby food forest before it matures is a really abundant, productive model. But once that canopy closes, you're going to be getting lots of fruits and nuts from your trees and your shrubs with good design. But that's going to eliminate your annual production. And I know like the hardcore permaculturists say, oh, no, it's all about perennials. Well, if you look at a, a wild ecosystem, annuals are still part of that system. And then if you look at the human diet, 80 percent of our food is annual crops. Right. Hmm. Um and yeah, I love the sure. idea of radically changing the human diet. I know Mark Shepard's big thing was like, well, anything we make with, you know, corn, we can make with hazelnuts and anything we make with uh, beans, we can make with chestnuts. That's great. But like that takes a radical shift in the way the nation, if not the globe, eats. Um, and I like I like the idea of radical change, but I don't know that that's a reality. So. Like, I mean, look at hemp. Like, everyone thought hemp was going to be the next big product. And a lot of farmers put a lot of money into growing hemp. And a lot of farmers lost a lot of money and watched a lot of hemp rot in the field because we didn't have the processing facilities for the hemp. Like, yeah, hemp concrete is freaking awesome. No one makes it. Hemp plastic is great. No one makes it. So I feel like there's other, like, things that play there like lobbyists and whatnot like so they yeah. don't have like disruptors to the order of things but to the, to yeah the current paradigm and i don't like along those lines i don't know if you've ever met him or crossed his paths so there's a guy that lives in darby who owns the patent on mixed alcohol fuels um, oh bioroot energy is his company's name j tubes mm. he's a really interesting guy and he basically Sounds has like yeah. he has this uh system design where like he can basically like in, in his perfect world he would set up refineries at landfills because there's already a system to get trash to a landfill but everything in your trash can be pushed through this refinery your byproducts are basically silica because that's not going to go through it but anything carbon-based whether it's a petrocarbon or a carbon carbon um, can become a ethanol fuel and he's given me some of this fuel. You can run it in a gasoline engine or a diesel engine. You get better MPG. It's cleaner burning. He can't make headway with it anywhere. And you'd think this would be a technology our country would be like jumping on. Like we have trash. We, we're really good at making trash, right? The best. Why, yeah. Why not make gasoline out of it? And you can use, you can send it through existing infrastructure. Like you don't have to change the pipelines. You don't have to change... Like if a gas station wanted it, they could put it in their diesel tank. They could put it in their, their gas tank. It, like they don't have to change their infrastructure. Um, yeah. Could you imagine Bitterroot Disposal not having to haul their semis up to Missoula every day, you know, to or, dump at the landfill there? Or even if they took it to Missoula and at the landfill, there was a refinery and then they just had a gas truck bringing it back from Missoula. It'd be a hell of a lot shorter drive than wherever that too? they're bringing it from now. But because of the oil lobbyists and everything, 
you know, he's had offers for buyouts of the patent, but he wants to control the technology. I that can't say sense. that. I can't say that I blame him. Um, but you know, Exxon, BP, etc. They're like, this is a huge threat to us. Like, this guy can take a waste stream, which is generally a, a lot cheaper, and turn it into what we produce. And we have to go drill in the Arctic or the ocean and. We have all these OSHA requirements and environmental requirements. And like, yeah, he's got some of the same environmental requirements, you know, getting a engineered spec out of one of his refineries. He told me it was like almost a billion dollars. So like, even though there's like the tire pile in Anaconda, they want him to put a refinery there. He's like, I can't raise the startup capital to build this infrastructure um, help us elon musk help us <laughs> yeah well and then like the weird thing is did you know the missoula landfill is owned by a uh, certain william gates i did not know that <laughs> yeah and they, they won't, that's so they, weird they won't talk to jay about his technology this is the little hi. one oh she's hiding there she is hello hi. say hi hi oh <laughs> uh, so that's funny yeah we totally sidetracked off of food but it's a very permaculture friendly conversation because fuel is like let's face it like modern americans were addicted to petroleum like we and garbage us, yeah petroleum and garbage and like i try and be super mindful of it but yeah i think about like okay what if you know it is the end of the world or you know this ukraine thing is world war three and gas becomes twenty dollars a gallon or you know diesel's 25 like i'm i'm on the hill like i'm going to town once a month um <laughs> you know um so like yeah that would be like a massive like if you were to say there's no more gasoline tomorrow our country's in the dumpster like immediately oh yeah um, like, like people are yeah just like, just really quick the um the whole 60 million barrels in reserve type thing. Yeah. I looked that up. We use 20 million barrels a day. Yeah. So cool. It's... We have three days worth of gas, <laughs> like in reserve. Like that does us almost no good. You might as well just yeah. go to zero. Like, yeah. Big whoop. Yep. So, but, um, should we should we get back to uh, yeah, we could be I, talking I about totally, trash I like yeah it, no that i love it i love yeah. it i just want to be mindful of your time as well yeah no. um uh so what uh what have you tried that failed that didn't work well other than having demon goats and de like devil sheep demon goats and devil sheep um let's see Things that I tried that didn't work besides that, I'd say, I'd say the biggest thing, and it's, you know, the biggest mistake that I've made and I see other people make is saying they want everything at once. Um, and it's, it's such like a, a human thing to do. Like, yeah, I, oh, want, yeah. I want the whole permaculture homestead. I want, you know, I want it all integrated. I want, this sweet setup where the chickens are doing whatever. Um, and you, you got to add things one at a time or like a, a couple elements at a time. And that's part of what happened with the devil sheep and the demonic goats is uh, 
we said, okay, well, I was able to manage all of this in Kentucky. I managed a similar thing for Tim. Let's start with all that and I can build a house at the same time. And that's probably why the goats and the sheep haven't panned out the way they wanted is it was too much at once on a new site. Whereas if I had been more strategic and I thought I was being strategic, like I definitely, there are projects that are coming online this summer as soon as it stops snowing at my house. I don't think you got snow this morning. I had snow this morning. Um, Just rain. Yeah. Yeah. um, I had about two inches on my deck this morning. So um, it's hard to jump into projects, especially with the well down, but uh, I thought I was being strategic. I still took on more than I was capable of managing at that time. So the biggest thing I, I can tell people and I tell clients is, I try and really define their context with them. Where are you right now? Where do you want to go? Let's build a map. Um, And what, let's make it a realistic map because if you go for it all at once, it's going to be more than you can manage. You're going to get stressed out. And I'm speaking from experience. You're going to get stressed out. Mm -hmm. You're going to be overwhelmed and it's not going to be fun. If it's not fun, it's hard to maintain a good mindset. It becomes work. All of a sudden, I have to go to work. I have to go weed the garden. I have to do, you know, whatever. And even though, like, I call me weird. I like weeding. Um, I don't do a lot of it because I don't really find it to be a productive use of time. But um, I, I digress. Where was I? So, yeah, it, it just, when, when there's too much at once and you don't have systems totally refined in any new system, even if it's something Jeff Lawton has done or Joel Salatin or any of the big names or myself, um, you have to make sure that it works on your site within your operational context um, and your, your knowledge and abilities, right? So right. when you throw too much on your plate at once, all of a sudden you're kind of stuck with the eating the elephant proper. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? If you say, I have to mm-hmm. eat this whole elephant. I No one can eat an entire elephant. Right. If you say, okay, we're going to eat this elephant one bite at a day, you know, assuming it's preserved or something, so you're not eating rotten elephant. I'm sure that's horrible. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of sick to my stomach just thinking about like... Hyenas um, do it. Yeah, well, they have a specific gut adaptation yeah. that I lack. I don't know about you. Um, Transplant. <laughs> yeah. So it, keeping things manageable based off of your skill, time, off of your context, which is going to be defined by your skills, your abilities, your time, um, and keeping things realistic. Because we all always want the perfect system, but a good system is way better than a perfect system in theory that's failing in reality because it's more than you can manage. What uh, – sorry, I'm – do you still, you got 10 minutes left? Uh, I mean, we, she's being good. Yeah, we can keep going. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I was like, okay, which one of these questions do I want to go yeah. through? Okay. Just let me know if you got to get going. I'll start playing the Oscars music, you know. <laughs> Am I allowed the... to play music through this? Uh, do they even still do that? I haven't watched TV in so long. I saw highlights of the, the, the pimp slap. I, yeah. The pimp slap. Weak. <laughs> I agree. Oh. Uh, so what's been the biggest challenge in, 
uh, farming that you faced? Is it time? And time, uh, I think time's the, the biggest challenge for anyone in any field. Um, I can, so when it, when it was my own operation uh, in Kentucky, the hardest year we had was the year my daughter was born. Um, my wife, it. yeah, she was born in June. Uh, having a baby in June when you're a farmer is a really bad idea. Um, we're, we're totally blessed to have her, but, um, prior to that, yeah, prior to that, (laughs) no, she didn't ruin anything, but, uh, prior to that, my wife and I, like we co-ran the farm. We, we both, you know, we had our individual tasks, but I basically lost my, my employee. Um, and for some wild reason in our head, we're like, okay, you know, the market guard we were doing a little bit of everything we had the market garden we had herbs for her herbal products we had livestock and it was kind of one of those you know the herbs in the market garden they cash flowed the hogs and the turkeys until butchering time because when you're raising heritage turkeys that take eight months to get to butcher weight you you have a substantial investment in them and you gotta you know you gotta feed them to get them to butcher weight um, even in a pasture-based system, um, it's kind of the one downfall of omnivores. And I can talk about omnivores as a food source uh, later. But so uh, as far as the market garden, our biggest cash crop uh, had been heirloom tomatoes. And two or three years in a row at my Saturday market, you know, my farm was voted the best heirloom tomato uh, producer. We, I, took a lot of pride in my tomatoes and we said, okay, you know, as far as the market garden goes, like other guys are making a killing on lettuce and lettuce doesn't excite me. Um, we're making money on tomatoes. Let's double down on tomatoes. So that summer we went from 200 tomato plants in the ground to 500 and it was Dang. me and the pigs and the turkeys. And it was, it was more than I could, I could manage. So we ended up with like 300 productive tomato plants. So, uh, it's still a lot. Yeah. We, we 50% increase. With, yeah. Um, not 50%, 50 plant increase. Uh, but yeah, so, um, that was kind of the biggest fail because almost everything kind of, you know, the hogs and the turkeys did really well that year, but the whole, the, the annual crops that year were lackluster. It was more than I could keep up with and still try and feel like I was contributing as a father and not just spending, you know, 14 hours a day in the field between mm-hmm. planting and harvesting and maintaining and um, packing up with, you know, farmer's markets are super fun, but they're also super exhausting We lost your audio. Yeah. Uh, there yeah, you go. I can my, hear you. Sorry about that. My wife uh, called, so I'm probably going to have to wrap up soon. That means she's off work. But uh, okay. Yeah. So that was not, and that's uh, you know thinking thinking I'm capable of more than I am, or not realizing the impact that having a child is. Um, yeah. 
So, and it, it goes back to time. And I think regardless of the industry you're in, time is generally the, the biggest limiting factor. You know, um, you're a handyman, like you're, you get paid an hourly rate. Like if you sometimes, say, sometimes, well, by the some, way, okay. Sometimes. Okay. I, this is a yeah, side gig. Side gig. But so you do your handyman thing. If you were to say you wanted to double your income as a handyman, you either have to double your rates or work twice as much, right? Is working twice as much an option? And is doubling your rates an option? Maybe doubling your rates is an option, but what if you want to quadruple your income because you're looking at this new piece of land or something like that? I guess I'd have to take on the more profitable jobs instead of doing less and like just do less, least profitable jobs, I guess. It would be another way to look at it. That, but eventually you're going to hit a roadblock where time, you can only do so many jobs. In right. A um, so then like, can you, yeah. And I, that's just where I'm saying time, time is our limiting factor. And it's the only investment we make that we can't get back. You know, you can make right. a financial investment. Hopefully you do well and you get an ROI. When you invest your time, it's gone. And mm -hmm. so I, the more I think about that and the more aware I become of it, the more mindful I am about how I choose to invest my time. That makes um, sense. Yeah. Well, Hey, let's, if you got, if you got to go, let's do a part two. Um, yeah. We'll schedule that. I don't know. Sometime, uh, maybe next <laughs> week. That'd be cool. So sooner would be better than later. Um, All right. We'll figure it out. And don't want to leave people hungry. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's true uh so hey why don't you uh tell people where they can where they can find you um on your instagram yeah. and whatnot so as of right now it's pretty much just instagram uh at, at advanced agro forestry I'm, i don't think there's an underscore anywhere in it i'm sure there's that's okay I'll, I'll i'm sure there's yeah. show notes we can put it in and mm -hmm. then it's uh also my like that so that's for advanced agroforestry the business i'm trying to build up uh coaching and uh design and then my personal instagram is at sarge s-a-r-g-e underscore matthew uh, with two t's because i had a guy write my name with one t yesterday i was like how do you not know how to spell the most common male name right. in america um but you know <laughs> whatever so yeah, that's that's where you can find me. I'm working on developing the website for Advanced Agroforestry, but one man show. So that's probably a couple weeks out. So just find me on Instagram. And I, I mean, there's a corresponding Facebook page for uh, Advanced Agroforestry, but I don't ever go onto Facebook. So sure. you can find it there. But if you leave me a comment, I I'll find it a month later. So <laughs> um, yeah. Um, we'll just link your Instagram then. Yeah, that'll be safe. Perfect. Do you want to? Do you want to plug your wife's? Um, your wife's yeah, Instagram so too. She's uh, at Two Poppies Apothecary. She makes amazing products, teas, salves, all all the good herbal goodies. She also does body talks and functional nutrition and um, a whole laundry list of amazing health and wellness stuff. So check her out. Uh, she makes cool like uh, needle felted hats of people's dogs and cats um, that are actually like, I'm blown away. It was something like one day she was like, I'm going to try and make this. And I was like, 
you, you like every dog or cat someone sends her a picture of like she nails it she captures the animal's personality what they look like mm. um it's not really like beanie season anymore but um if you know some like who doesn't love their dog it is at your house apparently yeah it is in my house in the morning it's still like you know come two o'clock when i headed down the hill today i was like okay it's time to put on a t-shirt right but yeah so that's her she's awesome good stuff um yeah we're gonna go to the mother's day thing by the way oh yeah uh, at two poppies apothecary yeah so she does her mother's day event if you're in montana check it out it's this is going to be her third year doing it and as of today, she's got 30 vendors. Uh, it looks awesome. Music. Like, it's, it's we were looking be, at some of the merch that's going to be there, and it's like, wow, this is yeah. actually like quality stuff, not she, like other like made fair type things. Like, yeah, this is no, nice stuff. She she doesn't let just anyone do it. She does a really good job curating awesome vetting, creators yeah. and that's vendors. awesome. Um, it's at Great Bear Native Plants, which is a cool greenhouse. I worked there. Last summer, all native plants, they do a lot of restoration, or they supply for a lot of, you know, restoration and reclamation projects. So um, if you're in the plants and you're in the area, they all have plants. There's a lot of other people who are going to have, you know, stuff you're not going to be able to find at a nursery. So um, I think two years ago, I bought some, like, stinging nettle starts. Like, who sells stinging nettle starts? Not a lot of people, but if they do, they're awesome. So, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And thank you so much for the invite. Uh, You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, so, I'm glad we could, we could do this. Um, I'm dying to talk to you some more. So uh, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll schedule something. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk soon and get it on the books. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks for being here, Matthew. Thanks, Matt. Have a good talk evening. To you too. That was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to bringing Matt back on and we can talk more about garbage for maybe another 20 minutes. Who knows? Um, and finish the rest of my interview questions and get into some other just off topic, off topic stuff. Uh, that'd be, that'd be a lot of fun and I'm probably going to invite him and his family over for a barbecue at some point. That'd be cool too. So, um, yeah, if you like this show, you can, uh, support us. Uh, farmhoplife.com slash value is where you'd find that support us using some cryptocurrency uh, you can get in contact with me matt at farmhoplife.com and go to our website farmhoplife.com you can also apply to be a guest uh, farmhoplife.com slash guest and um, share this share this show share this podcast this video um, anywhere with anyone bother people about it Also, if you forgot, it's farmhoplife.com. Go feed yourself.